Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greg Peterson here, and I want to thank you for listening to the Urban Farm Podcast. We wouldn't be able to keep doing these great shows without you. So as a token of my appreciation, I'd like to offer you access to a list of our top 10 episodes I personally find most inspiring. If you enjoy the Urban Farm Podcast, but don't have time to listen to everyone, then you will love this list. Although all our guests have great information to offer, if you are short on time, these 10 are must-listens. To get access to the top 10 most inspiring podcast episodes, text FARMER to 44222. That's FARMER to 44222. And enjoy listening. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the grow-your-own-food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Kate Miller of Dynamic Roots High Altitude Herbals to talk about her experience with bioregional herbal medicine. Kate is a bioregional community herbalist medicinal herb grower and permaculture design teacher. She is both formally trained and self-taught in the field of permaculture design, focusing on dry land vegetable and herb farming, herbal medicine, mountain ecology, and ethical wildcrafting practices. She is a certified herbalist from Colorado School of Clinical Herbalism in Boulder and holds a BA in environmental studies from the University of Colorado in Boulder. Kate became interested in herbal medicine through years of dealing with chronic illness, including Lyme disease, food allergies, and autoimmune issues. Together with her partners Don Vrabel and Stephanie Sison, she runs the bioregional and biodynamic-focused herbal company Dynamic Roots High Altitude Herbals. Based in Carbondale and Nederland, Colorado, Dynamic Roots cultivates vibrant herbal remedies that support the body's seasonal rhythms. Welcome to the show today, Kate. Hey, Greg. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, hey, I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Sure. Yeah, there's a lot there. (laughs) (laughs) So, 
I was raised primarily in uh, rural Idaho, somewhat in Sun Valley, which is a little ski town, beautiful place. And I was lucky enough to be raised by really eco-conscious parents who were super passionate about ecological education and literacy and activism and were really active in the community there. And I basically was just informed by my childhood and, you know, getting home from school, throwing down my backpack, running outside, building forts in the woods, dipping rocks at the river, eating all the snap peas and strawberries out of the garden before my mom could harvest them. (laughs) And was very much lucky to have parents to instill that love of nature in my heart from a very young age. So that was, that was very crucial. And um, my mom really was the main reason I started gardening. She was really influential in the community there and started a community garden project, which is now the Sawtooth Botanical Garden. And they were uh, really instrumental in kind of bringing awareness around community supported agriculture, high altitude gardening, seed saving, and, and frequently partnered with people like Bill McDormand. And we're really, really lucky to have a community of very aware people there who were constantly driving that um, issue. And I started gardening and growing the majority of my vegetables and a lot of herbs at around 22. And even more after I took my first permaculture design course at the Occidental Arts and Ecology Center in Sonoma County, California, which is a very beautiful place. Oh, yes. And very well-known, yeah, very well-known, old, established permaculture and intentional community. So uh, it was there that I met a herbalist who was their primary herb and veggie grower. And at that time, I'd already been dealing with a lot of health health issues, such as Lyme disease, although I didn't know it at the time that I had Lyme yet. Mm-hmm. And basically was just struggling. And even through my, my first PDC, you know, I had, I had to take breaks during that intensive two-week PDC and just kind of go out into their garden and kind of like ask myself, you know, again, what am I doing here? And the answer kind of just kept coming to me and through asking questions with this herbalist and gardener there, I, I left feeling very much like I'd found my calling in a big, big way, which was an incredible feeling at 22, mm. you know, fresh out of college, Nice. feeling very much like, you know, I'd been doing all this environmental work. I'd already, even at that young age, was kind of on the edge of burnout, you know, yeah. having studied environmental policy, I was I was depressed. I left college really depressed and was sort of like, now what do I do? Right. <laughs> and on top of that, didn't feel that great physically. So finding finding herbs on you know on that trip was just an incredible an incredible gift. So I went on to study uh, and become a certified community herbalist here in Boulder. We have a great school, the Colorado School of Clinical Herbalism, mm-hmm. and. There, it became very apparent to me that I really wanted to focus more on growing herbs than I wanted to focus on becoming a clinical herbalist, where I was, you know, as a clinical herbalist, I would be seeing clients every day. I wouldn't be in my garden Mm, as much. So I I, I really shifted gears. And during that time, it was also becoming very clear that herbal medicine was a trending and hot topic. Oh, yeah. And everybody wanted to learn more about herbs and the herbal industry itself was kind of lacking that foundational support and making sure that we have a sustainable industry first with high quality standards. So it wasn't just this hot commodity that became 
wrapped up in the picture of short-term profit, which we see happening. I mean, it's risky to buy herbs on the open market for that reason. Right. So I really felt like I that's where I wanted to focus. And then I found Dynamic Roots during my practicum, which is sort of like an apprenticeship during my herbal program. And I met Stephanie Sison, who is a wonderful, wonderful herbalist and, and permaculture teacher as well. She she works over at Crimpy a lot of the time with Jerome Ostentowski, so she has a ton of wisdom through her experience with that. And she and another woman, Don Rabel, who comes from years of lab experience, I met them and we kind of all immediately fell in love with each other. We had a lot of different skills we were each bringing to the table. And they'd only been around for about a year and then brought me on to work for them in 2014. And then in 2015, I became partner. And nice. we've kind of been going ever since. Yeah. Nice. So in your sharing, you said several things that I kind of want you to uh, define a little bit more for me. And uh, any of my permaculture designers out there, I always ask, define permaculture. <laughs> Good one. So I see permaculture, much like many have probably answered this question in different ways, permaculture for me is all about how we are interacting with the earth and what steps we're taking in our everyday lives to design design a system of resiliency. And resiliency is essentially making sure that the systems that we're implementing are going to be stronger as time goes on rather than weaker. Mm -hmm. So currently we're living in a, in a society where we're seeing the weakening of the, of these systems. We're seeing the collapse of systems and a resilient system. We're, we're seeing that they become stronger and they become more, more capable of, of lending to life and healthy life, mm -hmm. all life, human, animal, plant, etc. Beautiful. So that's what permaculture is to me. Nice. In your bio, use the word wildcrafting. Tell us a little bit about yeah. that. So wildcrafting is essentially harvesting plants that you're not growing yourself. So versus the plants that I harvest from my garden, wildcrafting is going out into wildland, you know, zone five and, and permaculture, those lands that we're really not interacting with on the same level. We're not mm -hmm. manipulating them on the same level. We're going out into the woods, essentially, going out into nature, wild spaces, and harvesting plants. And I and my company, Dynamic Roots, we really focus on ethical wild casting. So it's actually a very, very small percentage of what we do uh -huh. because of what I was talking about before, especially because this is such a, tr a trending industry now. There are many more at-risk plants than there used to be you used to be able to go right outside into the woods harvest really as much as you wanted to you know a hundred years ago or so and not worry about your neighbors and other members of the community doing the same thing but now there's really a risk of devastating a lot of plant species that wow. way even those that we perceive as being you know quite abundant like mm -hmm. rose hips for instance. Right. Rose hips can be over harvested just like other at risk plants. So it's really just establishing that relationship with the plant first. When I first became an herbalist, it was two years before I ever harvested a wild plant because I was actually quite afraid <laughs> of devastating a, a plant population because yeah. there's a real risk there. So that's wild casting. Wow. <laughs> cool. Cool, cool, cool. So 
bioregional herbal medicine. And I want to actually step back from that a little bit. And let's just talk about herbal medicine first. Can you define that for us? So herbal medicine is essentially just employing the, the herbs and plants that grow around us and utilizing them for, for our healing purposes. So whether it be for preventative health, say you just want to start drinking a, a nice herbal infusion every day or taking a tincture to help you adapt to stress, or whether you're dealing with a more acute issue like a cold, a flu, or an acute injury. So herbal medicine is essentially just utilizing herbs for medicine and, instead of synthetic drugs or, or other, other means. Perfect. And, and bioregional herbal medicine? So bioregionalism basically means just tapping into the resources of our geographic region before extending beyond those boundaries. So bioregional herbalism is inherently about utilizing whatever mix of native medicinals you have growing in the wild around you, proven exotics and often quote-unquote invasive plants that are growing both in the wild and often in our garden. And especially, I would say largely, it's about cultivating herbs within our own bioregion by supporting your local herbal ecosystem and all the herbalists in your community that are doing the same thing. So that's bioregional herbalism. It's really focusing on local herbs, so much like the local food movement. Movement. It's the local herb movement. Far out. Right. So yeah. you said earlier that it is risky to purchase herbs, on, and I don't know if you said on the open market but you you made some reference to that. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so by the open market, I just mean if you don't know where exactly it's coming from. So if you're, say, on Amazon and you're you're not really getting all the information you need, like you don't know whether it's organic, whether it's been cultivated in a, like a forest garden type environment, whether it's been cultivated on a farm that's using really great practices. It's just, it's risky. A lot of us don't really know. And even, even when we do get it from an organic source, if it's uh -huh. coming from across the world, mm. we, we don't really know the whole story. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a really important element that, kind of it, it, it imbues the medicine. So if, if we're using herbs every day and we don't know when or where or how those herbs were harvested, whether the people harvesting them were being treated fairly or whether it was fair practices of labor, you know, all of those are considerations with buying herbs on the open market. Mm -hmm. And more and more, even of the larger herbal producers, like even Mountain Rose and Pacific Botanicals, they're getting used to consumers starting to ask those questions because oh, they themselves, you know, they know it's, if it's not sustainably grown, if it's not organically grown, if it's not grown by happy people, it's not going to be quality medicine. Yeah. You know, that's a very interesting concept that I, I kind of discovered uh, maybe 15, 16 years ago around food. Uh, and while I was at Arizona State University as an undergraduate, uh, you said, if it's not grown organically by happy people, then it's not happy herbs. Did I kind yeah. of quote that right? Okay. So I actually, mm -hmm. I, I remember this time I was at 
Arizona State University, I was undergraduate, and this was in probably 2001, 2002, and I went into one of the on-campus restaurants, and I watched as they prepared my food. And what I really saw was them slopping food on a plate. And it it really occurred to me back then that it's like, hold on, there's a certain uh, ethic in which we prepare all this stuff that makes it more special. And I, I, and I think, and I think that's what you're speaking to, right? Yeah. It's why I don't make medicine, especially medicine that I'll be selling through the company. I don't make medicine when I'm in a bad mood (laughs) Mm. because all of that energy is going right into the medicine. Even if it's, you know, for a friend, that's not energy that I want to hand over to another person, you know, regardless of whether that's something you believe on the energetic level. I think, I think the sentiment is clear that if it's not produced in an environment of vitality and vibrancy and mm-hmm. love, it's probably not going to give you any of those things when you put it in your body. Got it. Wow. So I hope that just yeah. I hope that just planted some seeds for our listeners because it literally it was 15, 16 years ago when that first occurred to me. And it took me a few years to actually get it, but it makes a lot of sense for me now. Yeah. So let's jump in and talk about Dynamic Roots. Uh, this is your company that you started, mm-hmm. Dynamic Roots High Altitude Herbals. How did you get started and what do you do with it? So I started out basically just as an apprentice and it became clear over about six months that we were all, we all just wanted, we wanted a long-term relationship, Uh a business relationship with each other. And we're really like sisters now. So it was back in 2015 that I became official partner and started working with Dynamic Roots. We had around 10 to 15 products and we've quickly jumped in the last, couple or two seasons to having over 40 seasonal end signature products that we produce and sell here in Colorado. Uh And the main thing that Don and Steph were creating when I came on was this community supported herbalism program. So a CSH Uh program, you'll you'll see CSH abbreviated quite frequently Uh as that's becoming very popular. And part of the reason is because it operates like a CSA, so it's providing the, the business some initial input and some initial capital to work with to provide their products to their members over the course of a season. So instead of getting a box of vegetables every week, we send out a box of herbal products every season. So all the seasonally appropriate remedies that you or your family would need, uh-huh. say, before the cold and flu season comes around. So you get your elderberry syrup, you get all of these great remedies that are specific to that season. And there's learning that goes along with that, too, for our customers and what herbs that we're using. And especially now that we're growing over half of our herbs or more they get to see, oh, okay, so they've harvested this herb and they're using it in this product. So elderberries, for instance, are harvested in the fall. And, and it's, you know, it's very common practice to have elderberries there now during that time of year. And it's, it's not a coincidence. (laughs) So really educating the public and educating our members around seasonal herbs is really fun. And, And we have our signature products too, but I think 
the three of us would agree that it's it's really fun to kind of experiment on our members and we have member feedback and and members coming to us saying hey we want we want to stab with this particular thing in it that helps store muscles or whatever it is right. and, and we work to produce products based on our customer feedback so we sell online and in about half a dozen stores and boutiques around Colorado right now mm-hmm. and we're just constantly learning more and more and refining our products and this season will be big for us since we are going into our second season of having a two-acre biodynamic herb farm over on the western slope of Colorado. So Carbondale, Colorado is uh, close to Aspen. It's in that Roaring Fork Valley. So we lease a couple acres from a biodynamic farm there. And so we're able to actually produce biodynamic Demeter certified herbs, which I would say, in my opinion, are some of the most beautiful and vibrant and vitally healthy herbs that you could get. Yeah. Wow. So that's that's really fun. And so we expect to be growing more and more of our herbs. And we're working with other farmers all over Colorado. And uh-huh. Young and old farmers, I think, are starting to find that this is just a really, in terms of profit and profitability mm-hmm. for the farm and, and yield for the farm, it's a really smart direction to move in. Even if you are growing other crops in rotation, growing herbs is just a great thing to do for all farmers. So we're encouraging a lot of other young and older farmers to do this work and we're teaching classes about it and Steph is especially active on that nice. on the western slope and I'm I'm more active with that over here on the front range. Yeah. Nice. So you are running a community supported herbal box and it's and this is something you put out seasonally rather than like monthly, right? Yes. And as somebody that lives in Phoenix, Arizona, is this something I can get from you in Phoenix, Arizona? Yeah, we ship to members all over the country. Wow. Okay. So, so where do I get information on that? Because that is sounds like just an extraordinarily cool thing you're doing. Yeah, it's really, really great. So if you go to our website, it's www.dynamicroots.com. And dynamic as in biodynamic, so D-Y-N-A-M-I-C, roots.com. Uh-huh. And if you go to our shop page, there should be a link right underneath there for our CSH program. So becoming a member. Right. Nice. So nice. It's, it's really easy to register as a member. And mm-hmm. we have local pickup available in Carbondale in the Roaring Fork Valley. And we'll have local pickup over here on the front range as I'm building, uh, I'm building personally my own apothecary up here in downtown Nederland, Colorado, which is right above Boulder. Uh-huh. And Dy- Dynamic Roots will be the house brand. So I'll be producing a lot of the medicine just as I am now, but I'll have my own compliant community herbal kitchen space where I can produce that medicine and also rent it out to other herbalists and medicine makers who don't currently have a place to make medicine. Wow. And... That will be a really wonderful project for the community, and we've been up here for about four years, and it's just very apparent that, you know, in the for the sake of self-sufficiency and our own resilience in the community, we need an apothecary, we need an herbal apothecary, we need a place to produce sustainable, ethically made medicine that's, gro- that's made with herbs grown locally and around Colorado, 
And in addition to the apothecary shop and the lab space, we'll have a healing clinic. And then the whole south side will be flanked by a forest garden greenhouse inspired oh, nice. by Jerome. <laughs> nice. So, uh, all right. Yeah. So I got to know this. Uh, I know the answer to this, but I want you to tell everybody, why are you putting a greenhouse on the south side? Well, adding a greenhouse to a structure, especially up here, living at almost 8,500 feet elevation, is the best way to increase energy efficiency in a building. And especially for us, you know, we get really cold in the winter. So this is a really excellent way to get some of that solar gain on the south side of the building. And then uh-huh. we get that heat in the building itself. So that's why. And then also to have a learning space, a demonstration green classroom space to have people be able to come in really any time of year and see what's possible growing at this elevation. And I've, I've learned over the years from people like Jerome, people like Penn Parmenter. I mean, it's incredible what you can do yeah. with the right materials and the right design, even at really high altitude, but it's really cold. <laughs> yeah. Hey, are you going to have Penn and Cord do your greenhouse for you? I think we're actually, we're going more towards the model that Jerome does with the climate battery system. Oh, right, um, right, right. Cool. I've, I've, I've previously had a greenhouse with the, with the climate battery system, and it worked so well just for a commercial greenhouse that we need to have at peak production, a four-season greenhouse. That's more, the, more what we're going towards. But I, I love the Parmenter's model for residential greenhouses and especially smaller greenhouses yeah. you can only build you know a 50 or a greenhouse that's the way that i would go for cost efficiency yeah well cool so what can consumers do to make sure that they're supporting best practices for the earth so number one would be to support your local herb farmers and your local herb companies mm-hmm. by especially supporting the organic farmers. And it's really important that we use clean medicine, mm-hmm. medicine that doesn't have adulterants mm-hmm. and pesticides. Again, this is why buying herbs on the open market can be risky because if we don't know the source, we don't really always know, even if it's organic, whether there's any adulterants in it. So that would be the first thing, support your local herb farmers. And then the second thing, which is very much related, is utilizing what's in season. So I really, when I get to a new city that I've never been to, I really like to take a walk around the city and see what is growing around there and what, you know, what foraging opportunities Mm, might there be, even in the city. Of course, only picking in areas where you know they don't spray, but that's, that's kind of a cool way to start exploring herbs and seeing what's popping up at different times of year. And as a consumer, there's, you know, there's a lot of important, important stuff that's coming out right now, important data that's coming out around the the U S and worldwide trade of medicinal plants and tens of billions of dollars every year Mm -hmm. are, are going into the trade export import of medicinal plants. And that's just in the last decade and a half, and it's growing more and more. And now they're saying in 2017, the trade productions are more like $80 billion of worldwide trade of Uh medicinal plants. And this is such a hot thing right now. And there are so many inconsistencies because we don't have a strong practice of medicinal cultivation in the state. 
So keeping up with that, how do we keep up with that growing demand? So one, one thing that you can do as a consumer is, I mean, it's not really as a consumptive practice, but start growing your own herbs. All right. And, you know, I, I have to start with that because it's really like kind of the driving force for everything that we do, even with Dynamic Roots. I mean, we're constantly educating people around how to grow herbs and how and why you shouldn't pull that weed and you should utilize <laughs> it as medicine. <laughs> right. So we're not using enough, we're not growing enough herbs um, in the U.S. right now to meet the demand. And it's more than 25% of the U.S. population is using herbal medicine now and it's growing more and more. Wow. And probably likely less than 5% of the population is growing herbs at all. Maybe just a few culinary herbs here and there, right. but not enough people are growing herbs. Wow. So, well, this makes it a really trending industry then, because you said 25% yep. of the U.S. population is using herbal medicine? Yes, and that that statistic comes from the, the Zach Woods Herb Farm book, The Organic Medicinal Herb Farmer, uh-huh. which is one of my favorite resources for learning about growing herbs and even if you're just you know mildly interested and you're not trying to grow at a market scale it, it's full of useful information and the Zach Woods Herb Farm is a really wonderful model for what can be done even on a relatively small farm right um, and they're in they're in Vermont so obviously they're working with a different climate different microclimate than we are here in Colorado but there's a lot that we can learn with farmers who are growing more intensively and utilizing practices that are building incredibly healthy soil. So Uh you really end up not having to work as hard as you think, even growing at that commercial level. So that's a great book I would utilize. Name that book again? I do utilize The Organic Medicinal Herb Farmer, and that's by Jeff and Melanie Carpenter. Perfect. 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 So... Given you touched on it, the best herbs to grow for a new herb gardener? So I mentioned elderberry before, mm-hmm. and I know that's more a shrub, but I would say if you have the space, you know, they say the best time to plant a tree was 20 years, 20 ago. years ago. The same goes for a shrub. Yeah, and today. So the <laughs> so, other half of that is and, and today. today. Yeah. And today, exactly. So elderberry, I feel, is just an herb that everyone needs in their home apothecary. And there was a run on elderberries two seasons ago during the Ebola virus scare. I think they sold out everywhere. Nobody could find elderberries. Hmm. So if you're growing it, then during times of scarcity, you'll have it. And you'll have it to share with your friends and neighbors. So that's that's a really terrific plant and every part can be utilized. This is the Sambucus nigra, the the black elderberry specifically. We, here in Colorado, we have other elderberries that grow at high altitude that are not suitable for use. The berries especially can make you sick, but the black elderberry is a great one to grow, and it's a wonderful shade plant, and in terms of a permaculture plant, it's Uh a great place to start if you're building kind of an herbal guild, and I like having elderberry at the center of my garden because it just kind of brings this wonderful shape and shade yeah. for their plants and pollinators. And you can use the flowers and the berries and the leaves are great if you rub them on your skin. They're insect repelling. So those are that's just a wonderful plant. And then the other nice. one I would say 
for the beginning gardener because it's just the easiest thing and it basically grows itself would be calendula. Mm. Calendula is a wonderful orange and yellow flower in the aster family. Yep. And that is a great herb for using as a tea. You can tincture it. You can fresh tincture it. You can use it as an herbal hair rinse. You can dry it and have it for tea later. You can dry it and infuse it into oil to make skin healing salves. I mean, it just has so many different uses. And it's a wonderful pollinator plant as well. A lot of the herbs that we grow are pollinator plants. Yeah, exactly. There's no surprise there. So the calendula we can get from seeds. On the elderberry, yes. where do we, you know, because when you said that, it's like, wow, I don't have any of those growing on the urban farm and I want one. How do I get one and... Do I grow it from seed? Does it come as a plant? How do I know I'm getting the right one? So elderberry is typically bought as a small start. I would I would buy it as a start at a nursery unless you have a friend or someone in your community you know that's growing elderberry. Uh-huh. And it is extremely easy to propagate. So in the spring, the best way to propagate elderberry, you wait, you wait until... It's a little bit warm, but it hasn't quite budded out all uh-huh, the way right. for the new leaf growth. And you you cut it right at the node, so where the where the smaller branch is off, the smaller branch branches off yep. from the main stem. And I usually cut about six inch pieces, and I just stick it in a glass of water. And usually I'll add a little bit of willow cuttings because willow yep. produces a natural rooting hormone. Right. And that really helps it root out. And then there you go. You've got you've got elderberry starts. And then once those have rooted out a couple of inches, you just plant those. I'd probably plant them in a small container and, and keep them in the shade a little bit until they've leafed out a little bit and then right. transplant them into a nice spot in the garden. Got it. All right. So, so that's, a, that's an easy way to propagate it. Great. So given I'm in the middle of the desert down here, where do I find a, a start at? For elderberry? Yeah, I want one. I'm wondering, I'm not sure, for down in Phoenix. All right. I would say when you find a start, just put it in maybe the shadier part of your garden. Yes. Because yeah. that might not do so great because you guys get really hot down there. Oh, it loves yeah. it here, but you know, even when we get to 100 degrees, it's tough. It's yeah. tough for plants. Yeah. The calendula loves it. Yeah. On the other hand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, when it gets to 100 degrees here in Phoenix, the plants don't love it either. So, wow, that is a lot of great yeah. information. So, I want to I shift on you, and I want to ask you about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. Great question. So, my biggest challenge that's an ongoing challenge is trying to do everything and losing momentum because of burnout. Uh-huh. So... I would say that's a really crucial lesson that I'm hoping to learn here one of these days, but I just stop <laughs> doing so much. But especially as a healer, I mean, you can't pour from an empty cup. And I'm really learning that I have to learn boundaries, learn how to ask for help. Yeah. And it brings me constantly back to my favorite permaculture principle, which is integration of elements in a system. So yeah. if I'm an element in the system, how is what I'm doing in my own work integrating well with what others in my community are doing? Right. So how can I utilize what others are doing to help me when I'm, you know, lower energy and losing momentum and 
how can we support each other so one person doesn't burn out? Because this is happening to a lot of people right now. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on in all of our communities. Right. In the political situation, people are getting burned out, and it's because we're trying to all do too much. Mm-hmm. So that's been a really big big lesson for me and I can't garden I can't make this and I can't teach you can't do that when you're tired and burned out right so I'm I'm learning to to not let myself get to that point nice so what do you consider your biggest success so my biggest success I would say just starting to grow the herbs and growing herbs as well as food and gaining traction as a small business owner. But more than that, I would say it comes from teaching other people how to grow medicine to heal themselves. I mean, that's just, that's the greatest reward is when one of my students comes up to me and tells me about the herb that they grew and then they made a tea and then they gave it to their family or they feel better because of a certain thing that they learned about. And that's really inspiring to hear all the time. Nice. So what drives you? So what drives me? I am driven by the fact that the earth and all of us, all of the earth creatures, we need a lot of healing right now. And getting to know healing plants, especially the healing plants in our home environments, in, uh-huh. our, in our native ecosystems, it gives us a personal sense of agency and really empowers us to regain our health without relying on an outside outside system, which is how our medical system was created. Yeah. So herbalism is truly preventative healthcare. It's much better at dealing with the ongoing chronic issues, I would say, than our current medical system. Our current yeah. medical system is great when it comes to high-stakes health issues like early detection and dealing with traumatic injuries, like if I cut my finger off, with my hoary knife in the garden, yep. I have to go to the hospital. I can't just fix that with a Yarrow compress. Yeah. So we have a medical system that on the whole still seems very resistant to seeing medicinal plants and healthy food as the first point of intervention. Right. So that's really what's driving me is bringing that as the first step. Yeah. And that we need to look around and see that this is how the rest of the world operates. And it's about time that we all, especially our country, catches up there. So I'm all about education, and I have to know, is there a book that has been influential for you in this process in your life? So it's hard to choose just one. I already mentioned The Organic Medicinal Herb Farmer by Jeff and Melanie Carpenter. Yep. That's a really fantastic resource. And then I mentioned we grow biodynamically with Dynamic Roots, my company. And I would say for the beginning person, even if you're not, familiar with biodynamic gardening, biodynamic gardening by Monty Walden, that's the name of the book, Mm -hmm. is one of the best resources for learning both about gardening, just basic organic gardening methods, biodynamic methods, and herbs. It's like got all three things in one book. So that's a really great resource. And I'm always constantly going back to Rodale's Ultimate Encyclopedia to Organic Gardening. That's a great resource. Yeah, exactly. So... Those would be three that I really love. And then obviously I have tons of books specific <laughs> to herbal medicine, but yeah. I'll start with those three for now. Perfect. You've used the word biodynamic multiple times in our talk. And I, and I realize that some of our listeners out there might not know exactly what that is. So would you kind of explain that a little bit? Yeah. So biodynamics 
basically approaches farming and gardening as a holistic and ecological system. Mm-hmm. So an integrated system, much like Sean talked about on the previous podcast of yours, everything is connected in the biodynamic system. Mm-hmm. And it's very much about spirit and what we're bringing in terms of consciousness for our earthly activities. How does it make us feel to be in the garden? Because it's really about creating a relationship. Right. We're not just subduing and controlling. We're actually interacting. Mm-hmm. So I joke it's also about worshiping soil and plants and fungi because it is. It's just you're building healthy soils and you're you're imbuing it with good energy in the way of you know compost teas and the yeah. actual physical implements, but also the intention and energy that you're putting into it. So it's also very much related to the movement and cycling of planetary bodies, especially the moon. All right. So it it really delves back into a lot of pagan and, and earth-based wisdom, but it's very also much related to what's going on in this day and age yeah. as well. So it's it's beautiful. I haven't. I've been doing permaculture for decades now, studying permaculture for decades and implementing it. And I haven't done a lot with biodynamic farming and planting by the moon. And I recently have one of my friends here in Phoenix is going to come and harvest some things to propagate here at the urban farm. And he's specifically doing it on February 10th because that's and when that's the full moon. That's the full moon. Exactly. I'm impressed yeah. that you knew that that was the full moon. How cool is that? But he said, apparently for harvesting grapevines and propagating them, the full moon's the best time. So there's more water moving through the plants during that time. Oh, of course. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, much like the tides. I mean, our bodies have tidal forces because of the moon. Mm -hmm. Plants have tidal forces, the soils. So it doesn't have to be necessarily getting into all, like, the spiritual aspect or what could be considered more new age. It's actually very real physical stuff that's going on inside of our bodies, inside of the plants relating to these planetary bodies. Wow. Yeah. Wow. How cool is that? Thanks for that. Yeah. So what one final piece of advice might you have for our listeners? I would just go back to saying, start by getting to know one plant and just start there and I think that will empower you as it empowered me to continue forward. My first plant was oregano and I just sat with oregano in the garden. I learned as much as it teach me in that moment and then over the years it's taught me even more. So start by just sitting and getting to know one plant and see where that takes you. And be successful with that. Yep. Yeah, because what, yeah. what I've noticed about that is if you – Often as human beings, we take on way too much and then we get overwhelmed and then we get discouraged and then we're setting ourselves up for failure. But if we pick one, like oregano, be successful with that, then we're... Exactly. Yeah, then we're motivated to try another and be successful with that, so... Yeah. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Kate. It has been a treat getting to chat with you. Thank you very much. It's been really great to be here. I've, I've learned so much from your podcast too, so it just feels like such a privilege. Well, thanks. Then we're, then we're both doing great work on the, in the world. Yeah. Perfect. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? So you can find me at either of my websites. So the first would be dynamicroots.com. 
And you can reach me at kate at dynamicroots.com. And then you can also check out the upcoming apothecary that we're building here in Netherlands this year. And that's alpinebotanicals.com. Alpine as in in the mountains. Uh Alpinebotanicals.com. And that's also my Instagram name. Nice. So you can find also Dynamic Roots is on Instagram and we're, we try to post on there a lot with different plant profiles and letting people know what's going on in our world. So yeah, Perfect. keep up with us. Perfect. And I, I'm, I'm going to uh, ask you a question here about your herbal CSA. I want, I want to know more about it for our listeners. So how often do you put out a box? So we ship out four boxes. Four times a year, so one box per season, Mm -hmm. spring, summer, winter, fall. And they typically include between five and six herbal remedies that are what you need for that season. Nice. Nice, nice. And and give me a ballpark on what that would cost somebody to get it shipped to them. So I believe we just upped because the shipping was a little bit, but we the price is around three hundred for shift and 250 for local pickup. So right. right now we only have local pickup available in Carbondale, but we'll even also have it in Netherlands as well perfect. for people that live in Colorado. Perfect, perfect. And where do where do our listeners find out more about that? So if you visit dynamicgroups.com and you go to our shop page, you'll see become a member and you can learn all about our community supported herbalism program right on that page. Perfect. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You can also find Show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org backslash dynamic roots. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Greg Peterson here, and I want to thank you for listening to the Urban Farm Podcast. We wouldn't be able to keep doing these great shows without you. So as a token of my appreciation, I'd like to offer you access to a list of our top 10 episodes I personally find most inspiring. If you enjoy the Urban Farm Podcast but don't have time to listen to everyone, then you will love this list. Although all our guests have great information to offer, if you are short on time, these 10 are must-listens. To get access to the top 10 most inspiring podcast episodes, text FARMER to 44222. That's FARMER to 44222. And enjoy listening. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners, if you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. 
Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.